Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. And uh, we're so glad that you guys are here today because we're starting Family Month, um, which is one of our most exciting times of year uh, where we just focus on what it looks like to grow uh, happy, healthy families. And uh, we look at how to do that in very practical ways that sometimes are so practical they almost don't feel spiritual but really, really are. And uh, I hope that you make a commitment to be here every single week of this series because I really do believe that if you listen intently and you tuck these things into your life, that they really will make a big difference. And uh, I wanna encourage you today to take some notes. Maybe that's not something you normally do, but write some things down that stand out to you. Uh, Type them into the notes app of your phone, take pictures of the slides, whatever works for you. Um, But uh, plan to, to, to somehow grab hold of this stuff today so that you can use it outside of here. And if you are taking notes, the title of my message today is Halos and Horns. Halos and Horns. Some of you are already making lists of who in your family fits into the halo category and who fits in the horn category. And you don't even know what this sermon's about, but you're just doing that on your own. Um, my, I, I am married. I have a family. And uh, that sounded defensive, but um, it's, it's not... And uh, this is my family. Every year we get uh, family photos taken. Does anybody else do that, where you do the obligatory family photos? And we weren't going to let 2020 defeat us. And so we, uh, we went out into the wilderness and took photos. And this is our family currently. We have, uh, we have three kids, my wife and I, Tegan, who's now a teenager. She's almost 14 years old, which is, feels insane to me. And uh, she's almost, she's just about to get braces, which she is very excited about. And, uh, and then our two boys, who are almost as large and uh, outweighing their mom. So it's, it's weird. It's, it's getting into a weird phase. And yet, even though this is where our family is currently, this is not where it started, right? All families don't just start pre-made. They start somewhere in the past. And our family, our story started about 21 years ago when I met their mother. And I brought a picture of that just so you can kind of visualize that in your head. This is... This always gets a mixed reaction. There's, there's a whole group of people that are like, oh, and then there's another group that are like, wow, he really went downhill. That, <laughs> that did not, she glowed up, but like it's, ooh, you know, and listen, it's, it's been a rough year, okay? Uh, somebody gave me last Christmas, they gave me this book, uh, Why Kids Make You Fat, and I felt uh, like slightly offended, but also intrigued by the content of this book. And uh, I'll, I'll pass it along, but uh, you're going to have to ask me for it because I'm not going to give it to you because I don't want what that would say about like what I'm thinking or maybe your size. I don't want to go there with you, all right? But this, this is a photo that was taken, one of the first photos that was taken of us as a couple way, way a long time ago, like over two decades ago. We had been friends for a little while. We'd only been dating a couple months and I, I made that big decision of like, okay, it's time for her to like meet my family. And we were going to school in Missouri and I lived, my family lived in Iowa. So it was like a six hour car ride and we drove up and it was that big like nerve wracking introduction to the family. And I have, uh, my, my parents were together at the time and I have four sisters. And so, I mean, that's a lot of, uh, you know, you guys have seen, you know, cop shows where they interrogate. That's, that's, I was nervous. She was nervous that that was what was going to happen. And anytime you, you pull people together like this and they're meeting somebody new, who's like a prospect of to be like new or attached to the family, there's always a few different things going on, right? There's the, there's the sort of the dynamic that's going on between the two people where it's like, you're sort of coaching them. You're like, you got this, it's gonna be okay. He's, he's just this way, it's what you'll be fine, right? Then there's like the interactions that you're all having together. And then there are the interactions that happen when that person gets up and goes to the bathroom, right? And then everybody leans in, they're like, all right, what's up? What's going on? What are you guys thinking, right? And my parents are just grilling me with all these questions. It's like the first meal we had together. 
My wife gets up, she goes, wasn't my wife at the time. I didn't like marry her and sneak her into the family that way. Um, we were just dating, but she gets up and leaves the room and my parents lean forward and they're just like, what's going on? What's this girl's deal? Like, tell us more about her. Like, well, I mean, what are, what are her parents like? I mean, did they do, and like, what are her relationships? Does she want to have kids? What about this? What are some of her goals, whatever? And they're telling me all the, asking me all these questions. And I was just like, I don't know. I didn't know the answers to any of these questions they're grilling me with, okay? And what's more, I did not care about the answers to these questions at this phase of the relationship. You know what I did know? That sometimes my legs got tingly when she touched my hand. You know what I mean? Like that, I was sure of this. You know what I mean? Like it was like, like I, didn't, I didn't think about all this other stuff. I wasn't like really going there in my head. Like I'm sure like it'll all work itself out because I'm in love. Right? And like you, you've been there before. You know what that's like, right? You, you've, you've seen people in the love bubble, right? And like there are certain like red flags that you're just kind of like, I don't know. I mean, should we look into this? And they're just like, I'm sure everything's going to be fine. Our love will find the way, right? And you're just like, oh my gosh, let's just watch the train wreck happen. You know what I mean? Because you can see things that they can't see because they're not experiencing it objectively, right? They're very much inside of it. When I look at this picture that was taken 20 years ago in front of my parents' fake fireplace, um, sorry, I didn't, some of you got disappointed. It's not real, but it's not, okay? I, I think about this because there's, there's the, I was in that phase where, man, she could do no wrong. Like she, everything she did and said was magical. And it's still that way. Okay, she's not in here, so we can be real. I bring this up because there's a term for this, right? There's a term for this sort of love bubble experience. And it doesn't just affect love. Um, there's a term for sort of like being high on someone in a certain area and sort of allowing that to, to sort of cover over everything else in their life. And it's something called the halo effect, the halo effect. And essentially what it is, is it's this tendency for a positive impression in one area to create a positive assumption or set of assumptions in other often unrelated areas, right? We're just like, man, I, because I like this, I'm sure all the other stuff is great too. Because they're good at this, I'm sure they're good at that. Because I like this, I'm sure I'll like those things. We sort of copy and paste, right? And this is why you, you know people or you've even had the experience why when you like first meet someone and it's like, this is the perfect guy. And all your friends notice, but you don't notice that he's not really good with money, okay? And he can't seem to hold down a job. And he's generally disrespectful to the elderly, okay? And they're just like, listen, this is not great. And you're, you don't notice that. And you don't notice it because you're like, but he's handsome. And he just, he looks so good in jeans. And like, I mean... He smells of cinnamon and he makes me feel good about me, okay? And that's all I need to know. That's all I need. I just copy and paste that feeling over every other thing that I experience about this person. And yet there is an inverse to this thing. So the halo effect has an inverse fallacy, right? And it's something called the horn effect. And it's ex exact opposite, right? So the horn effect is the tendency for a negative impression in one area to create a negative assumption or set of assumptions about other often unrelated areas. And you've experienced this too, right? There are certain people uh, that, that you know of, some of them maybe politicians, okay? Where, I mean, it doesn't matter what anyone says about them or what they do or what stories are told about them. Like, you just see everything they do as evil and underhanded and manipulative. Because there was something that you didn't like about them or a policy or something they did or an interaction that you had. And that thing has come to sort of overshadow everything else about them. Like you could be told that they actually saved a crippled puppy from a group of pirates and you would just be like, mm, what was the angle, okay? How much do we really know about this puppy, all right? Because I don't know, it just sounds fishy to me. They're always up to something. I don't trust it, right? Because we've already sort of made a decision, right? Your, your distaste for this one thing or one aspect of them has tainted everything about them. 
And the key to both of these sort of things is that oftentimes we don't even realize we're doing it. It's just happening. Like we, we imagine that we're being perfectly reasonable and rational, even though there's something else at work. And, and I wonder like what you might actually learn about yourself if you started paying more attention to this. Like the next time someone leans in to tell you a story about somebody that you know, I wonder if you paid extra attention to the assumptions and the feelings that seem to surface about that person. Even before the story starts, I wonder if you can start to tell that you already have an impression of where you're pretty sure this story is gonna go and no matter what they did, what their motives really were. I wonder if you're able to see how it colors the story. And why does this happen? Um, our brain wants to categorize things because it makes it easier, right? Like your, your, your biology is always wanting to conserve energy. And one of the ways it does this in terms of your mind is it categorizes things in people because a shorthand saves mental energy. And there's a lot of good things about this natural automatic response that we have. It helps us you know, one, identify and be able to address, uh, you know, potential threats with ease, right? So if you left here and you went home and you're just sort of hanging out, gardening in your front lawn and someone pulled up in a van with tinted windows and the whole thing was carpeted on the inside and they were wearing a ski mask and were like, hey, why don't you come with me for some free ice cream? Like you wouldn't, your impulse wouldn't be like, I'm gonna need more information. I feel like I need to research this, get to know you a little bit more, right? You're just gonna be like, warning, right? You're like, I know this category. I gotta get out of here, right? And you run away, kidnapping averted. Thanks, brain, right? And it ends up being a very positive situation for you. It, it helped you, and that's what it's designed to do. But there's also like a downside or a dark side, because this thing that our brain does for us can also cause us to be unnecessarily anxious, biased, and judgmental in ways that we're not even aware of. I wonder if you've ever been surprised by someone else's assumptions. Like maybe they didn't even realize they were making an assumption, but it just seemed like evident or obvious to them. And they said something, and you're just like, wow, that okay, I wouldn't have put that together. Maybe, maybe you've been surprised by your own assumptions where you see something or experience something or get near to something or someone and there's a thought connecting one thing with another thing and it, it's kind of like, oh, I, I don't want to say that out loud. I wouldn't want people to know that's what's going on in here. Maybe somebody walked into like, you know, the post office because you didn't realize that you could just have sent that through email. And so you're in a post office and someone walked in with a bunch of tattoos and immediately there's this thing in your brain that was just like, wow, that is a lot of tattoos. And obviously anyone with sleeve tattoos has a motorcycle, right? You just thought that instantly. Or maybe, maybe you have this thought that just like, well, I mean, all rich people are greedy and selfish. I mean, that's clear, we know that, right? Millennials are lazy, okay? I mean, they're not all wrong. Like some things that we jump to and it's like, okay, yeah, we'll give it that one. But what I'm just trying to, I'm just kidding. I'm a millennial, so I, that offends me, right? We think like anybody who voted for this or this person or voted that way, they're clearly an idiot and probably a bad parent. I mean, no play dates with them because they probably are collecting kids in their basement. I don't trust them is what I'm saying. And you know what's even weirder to me about all of these sort of uh, assessments or assumptions that we make is that we all, as I'm even saying these or reading these things to you, we all have some sort of an immediate impulse to either refute or defend every single one of these. Like even as I'm saying them, there was probably a few that you're like, okay, yeah, no, I mean, that one makes sense. I mean, I'm glad he said it, not me, but like, yeah. And others of them, you were like, okay, well, hold on a minute. That's not true. Right? And you felt frustrated that somebody was connecting the dots between those things. It felt unfair. It, it, it felt like, man, that's, that's too broad of a generalization. That's pinning down a whole group of people into one single place. Why, why does this happen to us? You know, at some point, um, something happened or we had an experience or came across some information that connected the dots for us um, with, with two things that may or may not be related across the board. 
And our brain, in an effort to help us out, probably subconsciously was like, that is helpful. From now on, anytime we encounter this trait or this particular person or this particular type of people, like this is the category that they belong in. And maybe you're already starting to see that like there's some problems with this because people are complex and complicated. Relationships are layered and nuanced. No one is all one thing or another thing. And in fact, the ultimate problem with this is something that we have to talk about, think about and wrestle with if we're wanting to have deep relationships with the people around us. The, the truth is you can't have a deep relationship with someone that you are unwilling to allow to defy the surface category you pre-sorted them into. If you have already made a decision and your brain probably already has, even without your permission, that this type of a person belongs in this category, this specific person belongs in this category, and I'm gonna base everything else they do on that opinion of them, that basically stops and slows down the evolution of that relationship. It just gets stuck. And here's why I bring this up at the start of family month. What if the person that you have boxed in and you are always maybe assumed to, to think negatively towards, what if that person isn't a politician or some other annoying parent on the PTA or like a CEO you'll never meet? What if that person is a member of your own family? I wonder, I wonder if there are certain people in your family, maybe your immediate or extended family, and there is something that comes up inside of you every time you interact with or encounter them. Before you even hear where the story about them is going, there's like this thing that comes up that's just like, mm, I don't know. I wouldn't put much stock in what he says. He exaggerates all the time, okay? Like he just wants attention. He's just super dramatic about everything. Like I don't, I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't, if you trusted her to do that, you may wanna like form a backup plan because she never follows through with anything, okay? And I have, I have at least two examples, okay? And I get this is a different situation, but like that's just who she is. But what about this? What if you're the family member this happens to? I wonder if that's ever been true of you. Have you ever felt like, man, it doesn't really matter what I do because everyone around you has already made a decision about how they're gonna see you. I wonder if you have ever had that feeling about the people in your family. It's almost like, like, like they're, they're just sort of like, you know, I, listen, we've seen enough. We, oh, we know who you are. We know how you think. We know how you make decisions. We know what motivates you. We know what you want. We know, we know what you're capable of. And we definitely know what you are not capable of. Like we don't need any more information. We've got it. We've got you pegged. And if you've ever been there, you know that there's something about it that feels really discouraging and defeating. And we can find ourselves thinking, I guess they're just not interested in learning or knowing anything more about me than they already think they do. And I don't think we do this to each other on purpose. I think the reason this happens is that familiarity can kill curiosity, right? The more we think we know someone, the less we start to like wonder about them. And that, the curiosity we have about someone is sort of what keeps things exciting and growing. And here's the danger in this reality is that when you stop being curious about a relationship, you stop growing in that relationship. And for some of you, like this is really real to you because this is proven to be true in the current space of your marriage or your relationship with your parents or your siblings or your kids or maybe one kid is that you're just like, I got it. We know. I, I, I pretty much understand all there is to understand about you. And the relationship has just sort of stopped. 
It's just sitting there. It's just sort of stuck. It's not moving forward. It's just stuck. And this leads to a couple different destructive responses. I think a lot of times when, when people feel or when we feel like the people around us or people that are supposed to be close to us have irreversibly categorized us, we often respond in one of two ways. One way that we might do it is just like, oh, okay, sure. If that's what you think, then I might as well just be what you think I already am because nothing good I do matters to you. You ever found yourself in this place before? You've already prejudged me. You've already decided who I am and what I am to you. You already don't trust me. You've already sort of put me in this corner. And so, like, it doesn't matter if I do this good thing or I do this or I try this or whatever. You're looking at it through a certain filter. I will never be more or different to you because you've already made up your mind. So you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna double down. I'm gonna be so much more what you think I am. I'm gonna give you a reason. Oftentimes it, it just gets worse. And of course, the other response is like, you know, I, I guess the only way to be someone different is to go somewhere else, to go somewhere different, or maybe to be with someone else or someone different. Like we get to this place where we're just like, you have this idea of who I am and that's not who I am, or that's not only who I am. And I want to grow and I want to evolve and I, I, I want to become a better version of me. And I, I feel like you don't want me to be anything other than this other thing that you've pre-decided that I am. And I don't know how to convince you to see me differently. And so if I want to be someone else or be someone different or explore a different part of myself, I guess I have to go somewhere else. I may even have to find someone else. I think this is why a lot of Kids are like, I'm leaving home and I ain't never coming back. I think this is why sometimes in relationships, a marriage will splinter apart. You know, in, in, in all reality, when, when somebody leaves a marriage or oftentimes has an affair, it's not because they, they don't want their partner anymore. It's because they don't want to be who they currently are anymore. They feel trapped and stuck. They, they want to explore other parts of themselves. They want to be seen differently. And sometimes we feel like if I can't do that here with you, if you've locked me down and only see me in a certain way, maybe I got to go somewhere else. And maybe you are sly enough to realize like neither of these are really what we're aiming at in life. Like these aren't exactly happy endings. Like these things are not where you hope that a relationship with your spouse or your kids or your parents end up. And so what do we do? Maybe you're thinking like, did you mean like, what do they do? Because they're the ones that are doing it and causing all the problems, okay? And that may be true, but, but, but what about you? One thing I've, I've noticed about humanity is that I think it is a lot easier to identify ways we may feel limited by someone else than it is to acknowledge ways we may be limiting to someone else. I wonder if you've realized this about you. It's so easy. You can come up with a million reasons of like, they hold me down. They don't see me as this. I'm multifaceted. Like they need to give me room to grow. Like that would, right? And then, and, then, and then if we switch gears and it's like, is there any way do you think you are limiting the people in your life or don't fully see them for who they are? No. This is something that's so hard for us to see in the mirror. So hard, in fact, that most of us don't. And so how do we keep from boxing in and driving away the people that we love because we are seeing them through this lens of frustration, that we are sort of copying and pasting this negative impression or frustration or annoyance about one area on everything else they do? How do we keep the horn effect from taking hold of our home. And fortunate for us, there are a lot of great pieces of relational advice um, in Scripture, specifically in the, the New Testament. There's a lot of things that Jesus says and the Apostle Paul talks about, whose words are the majority of what we read in the New Testament. There's so much of what they say that really can be leveraged as a prescription 
to have happier, healthier relationships. And I think specifically on this topic, the Apostle Paul has some really fascinating things to say. I want to read you just two things that he says. I I want to pick apart today because I think they're enormously helpful. And the first one is found in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. And this is what he says. He says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. So he's saying, allow other people to be different than you think they should be and then forgive them when they offend you. I think this passage is offensive, okay? That's what I'm offended by. I remember the first time I read this, I just thought like, wow, I don't wanna do any of that stuff. Sometimes when I come across stuff in the Bible where I'm like, ugh, I don't like that. I don't wanna do that. You know what I do? I... I will sometimes assume like, maybe I'm not fully understanding it, okay? Maybe there's like a mistranslation, you know what I mean? Maybe this wasn't really, you know what I think is happening? The apostle Paul was misquoted or like they didn't translate, the words didn't cross over from the original language. So I know what I'll do. I'll go into the original language and I'll find the loophole, right? And that'll let me off the hook and then I'll pass it on to you people, okay? And usually when I do that, it, it backfires. It backfires real hard, which is not good for either of us. Or maybe it's the best thing for us. I don't know, one or the other. What do these words actually, actually mean? This word that's, uh, that's, that's translated here as allowance or allow is often translated overlook. And this original word or phrase means this. To overlook something in this original language means to be tolerant of, to endure, to be patient with, to quietly suffer. Aren't you like, that's way worse than just the word overlook. I mean, substitute any of these phrases into this verse and it just makes it more frustrating. Quietly suffer as a result of each other's faults and then forgive them. I don't wanna do that. Then I thought, Maybe it's the word offense. Maybe the word offense, that's the word that I don't fully understand. I'm gonna go in and find that. And then the stuff I need to overlook, it's not gonna be that big of a deal. Well, the word offenses, this translated offenses here, means faults, wrongdoing, annoying quirks, uninformed perspectives, and irritating habits. Maybe you're like me and you're just like, well, that is all my favorite stuff to be offended by. Like, that's all the stuff I want to look at and be annoyed about. You're telling me to overlook all the things I want to look at. Like, these are the things that really set me off and frustrate me. And what Paul is essentially telling us is that if you want to have lasting relationships with people who aren't carbon copies of you, which is everyone you know, you're going to have to learn to deal with differences in a healthy way. And most of the time, we need to allow it, overlook it, forgive it, and move forward. Deep breaths. We're going to make it through the sermon together, I promise. Don't you hate it when someone tells you just to let something go? Just to overlook something? Just to move on with something? Just to not magnify it or make it a big deal? Isn't that the thing of just like, oh, I was a little bit upset until you told me to let it go, and now I'm going to kill you too. There's just something about that. We, we hate that. And yet, in more cases than not, if we, we actually trust the New Testament scriptures, that's what God is asking you to do, especially with those close to you. You know what my kids do when I suggest this to them as a parent? When I'm like, hey guys, you can, you can overlook this. You can, you can, you can ignore this. You can, you can move past it. It's not great. When I'm like, listen, listen, you don't need to try and poke your brother's eyes out or punch him in the face when he walks by you on his way to the bathroom and accidentally brushes up against you, okay? Even if it was intentional, it didn't really injure you. It was just annoying to you and you don't know what his motives were and I didn't see it, okay? And so you can choose. You can choose to let it go. You can choose not to let it affect you in this way. You can choose to ignore it. And my kids never take this well. 
especially one specific child, which I will not identify specifically to you right now, who oftentimes will be like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, I'll just do that. I'll just ignore it, okay? And he can just do anything to me that he wants to because it doesn't really matter because you guys don't even love me anyway. So he can just go in and he can just pick up a big kitchen knife and just stab me in the chest and I'll die. And I guess I'll just ignore it. I wish I was exaggerating this story, you guys. If anything, I'm downplaying it. This is what my kids do, right? They, they like to use like unlikely exaggerated examples to excuse themselves from having to practice self-control or extend common courtesy. And if this has ever happened in your home as a parent, you do what all parents do. You kind of like roll your eyes and you're just like, really? This is just, because it's immature. But here's what all the people sitting around you know. You do it too. Because we're all children. And this verse is basically saying to us, listen, God doesn't need you to point out everything you don't like, to put everyone else in their place, to argue every opposing perspective that's expressed, or to say every snarky remark that pops into your head. Stop acting like everything you don't like in life is the equivalent of being stabbed in the face with a kitchen knife, because it's not. It's childish, and it's sabotaging your relationships. So why do we do this? I think what happens is, like, when we're triggered, like when something happens that frustrates or offends us and we get all worked up about something, I think what happens is it's usually something that falls into or straddles one of, of three categories, okay? And there's probably more, but just for, for, for the sake of this, I think one level is I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated and offended because they did something morally wrong, okay? In other words, God's against it, okay? Then there's another level, there's another category, which is like, they did something that I, like, it's personally distasteful. Like, I just don't like that. That rubs me the wrong way. That frustrates my personality. I don't care for it. That's not what I would do. I don't like that. I don't wanna do that. I don't agree with that. Right? Then there's a third level, which is essentially they were in the wrong place at the wrong time, okay? <laughs> you ever have those days where it's like somebody just walks in and it's just like, sorry, but you are going to be the scapegoat for everything that's gone wrong in my life today. You're walking around and you're frustrated with something else, about something else, with other things going on in your life and you're worked up and there's part of you that's just like, I wish someone would disagree with me. I wish someone would say something. I hope somebody comes up and is like, you know what I think about politics? I'll be like, oh yeah, tell me. And you're rolling up your sleeves. And they're like, what did I walk into right now? And it wasn't necessarily that they did anything that was like wrong or bad. It was just like, except for just like coming across you today because you were already on edge, right? You, you were already, you know, a little hungry or angry or lonely or tired and, and you were sort of prickly and they just kind of bounced into it. And here is the problem that I think that we experience in all of our lives is that I think we have this tendency when anything happens that doesn't make us feel good, we, we push it up to the first category. Because if I can decide that anything that you do that frustrates me belongs in the God category, I... I can avoid all responsibility and accountability. I don't actually have to face that like, I'm tired, I'm cranky. I've experienced some disappointment today. I've got, you remind me of someone that I don't like. And that's really, I'm in a bad mood, okay? I just, I want things to go the way I want them to go. And I don't, I just because, okay? We don't wanna have to admit like, this is something that just I don't like or care for personally. Instead, no, 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 no. God himself agrees with me. So, you know what? Like, if you don't like that I'm mad, well, then I guess you don't like God. <laughs> what? And yet we've had these interactions. 
I, I think most of the stuff we cram in the God category doesn't really belong there. But here's the crazy part. According to this verse, even if it does, Paul says the overwhelming number of our responses to everyone should be to overlook and forgive. And I, I think this is a part, a big part of why a lot of people walked away from following Jesus when he was here on earth. Because they're like, not for me. I don't want to do that. Over, are you kidding me? I don't want to overlook and forgive. I want to fight and be right. That's what I'm here for. That's the only reason why I'm following you, Jesus. I thought if I followed you, that you would help me fight and I would always be right. That's what I'm in it for. I mean, did you see what they did? We got to go get them, mostly you. And Jesus' response to these people was always like, I get it. I get your level of frustration, but that's not what I'm doing. In fact, the bulk of my movement and what it really means to follow me is not that. It's something else altogether. And sometimes that's hard for us to swallow. And why is it that Paul tells us that we should do this? He tells us that we should treat people this way because this is the way that God treats us, that God went first. That, that in fact, God's go-to response is to give you grace. And that following Jesus means treating others the way Jesus treats us. Not the way that they've treated us, the way God has treated us. And so we're starting to kind of come into focus. Like if we want to have healthy relationships, we can see maybe some things that aren't helpful, bitterness, nitpicking, trying to control everybody around us. But what is helpful? Like how do we go about, what can we apply? And there's another piece of advice that, that Paul gives that I think is worth visiting. It's in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. And he says this, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. What does that mean? You know, I, I, I was like, this sounds hard too. So I looked these words and phrases up in the original language and context. And you know what? It backfired once again, you guys. I'm sorry, but it, it, that's what happened. To love with genuine affection means this. It means that you look for things you like about someone you don't like right now. And here's what is true about at least me and my family. I don't always like the people in my family. Maybe you're better than me. You probably are. There are days I don't like my children. I love them every day. But there are some days they do some things that are real unlikable. I'm like, I don't like a lot of things about you today. That's even more true of people that there's a lot more distance between us. And to genuinely love someone with genuine affection means that you, you are looking, actively looking for ways to like someone you don't like right now. Why would we have to be told to do this? Because your brain is automatically gonna say, I don't like this and this about you, therefore everything you do is garbage. I don't like anything about you right now. It's real work submitted to the way of Jesus to actually have to identify the image of God in other people when they're acting in ways that we don't care for. What about this other phrase? To, to honor, to truly honor someone means to search for excuses to defer even to those you disagree with. You know what defer means? Defer means you let them do it their way. You let them have their way. And this doesn't mean you do this in all circumstances. There are certain situations where you're like, I just, I can't let it go this way, right? It, that's, that is not okay for me just to allow this. But you know what I am gonna do? I'm looking for opportunities to say, there's a lot of things I don't agree with you about, but this thing, man, you really nailed it there. You did a great job here. This, I gotta admit, you were right and I was wrong. But we're looking for ways to defer to them, to give them a win. And some of us are just like, I can't even give them one. I gotta be real. Maybe you're thinking like, man, this sounds super difficult. And it is, you're right. 
Because the truth is, receiving Christ is easy. Following Christ is hard. And we don't want to do this stuff because it requires the one thing of us that we really don't want to do. It requires us to step into something that we have demonized in a lot of ways inside of our culture. As Westerners and as Americans, we hate this word. It's something called humility. Humility? No, 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 no. I'm right, you're wrong, I crush you, right? That's the way we like to do things. Those are our heroes. But this is not the way of Jesus. And maybe you're thinking like, okay, I, I get what you're saying, you know, my husband leaves the dishes out like too long, didn't even rinse them. Now there's like stuff forming on there and I got to like chisel the fossils off with a, you know what I mean? It's just, I get it. My wife, she's not always great with money, okay? She's just like, I'm not going to spend anything. And then I'm like, wait, is that new? And she's like, no. And it's because she hid it in her car for like four days and it's still new, but I don't know. And she's got another, I know she's got a car I don't know about, okay? And that, okay, I get it. Oh, little thing, I can overlook, I can forgive. They're frustrating, they're, they're annoying to me. But what about other stuff? What about bigger stuff? What about situations of abuse? What about infidelity? What about addiction? And these are valid concerns because I think what happens sometimes in certain Christian circles is people take a verse like this and stretch it beyond what it was meant to cover and apply it to things that it really doesn't belong to be attached to. God's desire isn't that anybody live in an ongoing cycle of abuse. And in fact, I'll tell you, in virtually every family month that I remember being a part of here at South Hills, we have helped people get out of physically abusive relationships because they had the courage to show up and just say, I think that something is off. And we've helped. And I would just tell you, like, if a situation is truly unsafe or unstable, you need to have an honest conversation. You need to draw a boundary and you need to make an action plan. And that is something you're not going to be able to do on your own. But even if you do all of these things, whether you do it or not, if you allow frustration to fester, it will color your perspective and it will rot your insides. And this is part of the reason why we tell people to get in a growth group because when you are really frustrated and worked up and offended, especially by the people that you live with or your spouse or your kids or whatever, you lose perspective, right? This is why we say sometimes, you're like, I lost my mind. Because we did, right? Like rationality, reason all went out the window, right? We just, we lost control. We lost perspective. And it's healthy and helpful in these moments to have other people who are also committed to having real good relationships, who are devoted to the way of Jesus, who can stand on the outside because they know you, they know the situation, they know the way of Jesus, that they can tell you with some clarity, like, listen, that is something to allow as much as you don't want to hear this. And this is something to address. We need this perspective in our lives because sometimes we take something that's really like a level three thing and we make it a level one. And sometimes we take a level one thing and we demote it to two or three. And neither thing is what God has in mind. But I will tell you this. A successful relationship always involves more people than just the ones in the relationship. In other words, like you can kill a relationship all by yourself. And some of you are like, I'm real good at it, okay? But saving it and yourself requires help from somewhere else. If you have certain things that pop up in a given relationship over and over and over again, guess what? I don't know that you're gonna solve it on your own. Because if you could tackle that thing all by yourself, you would have done it already. You need outside input, outside insight, strength, and power that you don't already possess. And this is the sort of thing that makes us nervous, right? Because we're just like, I don't know if I want to bring other people in. I don't know if I want other people to know. I don't know if I want to tell other people. And if those people that I'm telling are healthy, guess what you may find out? Sometimes they're not always gonna side with you. 
they may actually listen, hear you out, and they may be like, wow, that does sound super frustrating. I can, man, I can see why you got worked up. And, and you're like, yeah. And they're like, yeah. Sounds like you were a real jerk. You're like, well, me? <laughs> I got to talk to Gretchen and get in a different group. These people don't get it. <laughs> I don't even know if some of them are Christians, to be honest. They shouldn't have told me that. Because here's the question that, that we all need help answering on a regular basis in our core relationships. Is this an issue that needs to be addressed or is this an annoyance that needs to be overlooked? Or is it a combination of both of them? Where are the lines? What would God have me do? And I just gotta tell you another inconvenient truth living in a constant state of annoyance is a choice. And you can choose not to live that way. And some of us are like, it's not a choice. They're, they're annoying. It's their fault. But our frustration stems from what we fixate on. And the good news is you can change your focus. Because here's the truth. Everyone that you meet, and, and including everyone in your family, is both annoying and amazing. And it's also true that sometimes we can zero in on one aspect of who they are at this moment and we can expand it to cover over everything else and that's all we see. Because we tend to see what we're searching for. And at the same time, we tend to treat our family according to what we tell ourselves about our family. Like whatever you are fixated on and focused on and whatever narrative that you are playing over and over in your head about who that person is and what their motives are and what they're after, no matter what they do, that's what you're filtering their actions and their words through. And I wonder if maybe you or the people around you are suffering from the horn effect in your own home. They feel stuck and trapped. And I would say if, if a particular relationship in your family is consistently in chaos, it may be time to gather some people that you trust and begin to process through some of this stuff with them and be able to identify what needs to be addressed and what needs to be overlooked. And that may mean that you need to change some of the ways you go about life. But even if you do that, it may also mean that you need to change what you are looking for in life. And so here's my challenge to you. And I wanna warn you, there's two challenges I have. The first one, I wanna, I wanna encourage everybody to try and do this week. The next one is like, it's like master's level, okay? So it's gonna be tough. And so you may just wanna write it down and be like, not for me, I am not at that level yet, okay? I may need to get baptized one more time before I'm ready for that one. But I can't do it. But the first one we're, we're all gonna do today. And, and here's the thing I would challenge you to do to this week spend some time to meditate on and maybe even journal out what you like most about each member of your family. And I want you to really, don't cheat this, like give this some time. You may need to like go to a park and sit with a journal. You may need to like, you know, sort of excuse yourself from your family and put some headphones on and just have a moment. And like, don't, don't phone it in either. Don't just be like, I don't know, they're okay sometimes. Come on, get specific, get detailed. Mention stuff that's just like, I don't know, it's such a little, but I just, I like it. Maybe you share it with them, maybe you don't. That's not really the point. This is more for you. Here's what I want you to pay attention to. I want you to pay attention to the way you meditating on what you like about them changes the way you experience them changes the way you live out your story alongside them. I want you just to like make note of it. Like maybe, maybe you do this tomorrow and maybe you just like keep it somewhere where you can look at it every day right before you get home or they get home. And I want you just to experience how it changes things for you. And then here's the next level challenge, which you may or may not be ready for. But if you really wanna go for it, Ask each person in your family, is there anything I do that keeps you from being the best version of you? And here's why some of us might not wanna ask this question. 
because then they may have an answer. <laughs> and some of us are like, I don't want to know it. I, I, I don't want to hear it, right? And if you ask it, you got to give them time to answer. You can't just be like, is there anything I do? The best version of you. No, cool. And then you just move on. Like, that's not what we're talking about. Take your time. In fact, if it's too intimidating to tell me to my face, write it down, slip it under my door. Oof. Tell me the truth. I really want you to be able to be everything that God has designed you to be. I don't want to box you in. I don't want to hold you down or hold you back. I don't want to push you into a corner to where you feel like you can't be anything other than I've already decided you are. I don't want you to, to feel like you got to go somewhere else or go be around someone else to really step into who you really are. The best version of you. The God-designed version of you. I wonder what they would say. I wonder what it would require you to do. I wonder where it would take your relationship. Here's what I will tell you. If you take home and you take this seriously, you do one or both of these things this week and you apply this to your relationship, it will begin to change and transform the way you experience each other. And it will take you deeper in your relationship because you're no longer operating at a surface, automatic, categorical level with that person it will restore for you your curiosity. And maybe that's what's missing. And what I wanna pray into your life today is that God would give you the courage to follow through with what he's asking of you. Not just because it's a good thing, but because this is what he does for you again and again and again. It's your turn to pay it forward. Would you bow your heads across this room as we pray together. God, I thank you so much for your love, for your grace and mercy. I thank you so much that your default go-to response to us is grace. To say, I love you. You are mine. I made you. I like you, Quirky. And God, I pray that we would internalize that on a deep level. And I pray that we would take that experience of you and that we would pay it forward into the relationships around us. God, that we would give grace to those around us, that you would make us curious about who they really are, that we would put our assumptions on the shelf and God, that you would empower us to see them as multifaceted people that you are constantly calling to grow and transform. And we would side with you by giving them that opportunity. God, may that be our gift to our families moving forward this next week. And God, may you do way more than we could ever imagine through this one act of obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.